Speaking of audio, if you, if you, missed, the, if you missed last week or any, any of the weeks, uh, Chuck is putting the audio on our website now. So if you know you're going to miss one, don't worry about it. It's going to be on the audio. Um, and, so, and so if you're taking the foundations uh, for, uh, for the purposes of you know, serving in the church, and because you know, that's, that's why we have you sign this to where if someone asks you if you went through the foundations class and we can show yes, uh, you did go through it. So if you are going to miss one and you do listen to the audio, just let us know and we'll, uh, we'll put a check on that week for you. So, well... Uh, we are in lesson two. Um, normally, I teach lesson one, and so Pastor Freddie taught the first lesson. So, um, I wrote I wrote the lesson, and so I I know what's in there, but I don't know how how he emphasizes it. So I emphasize it a specific way, <laughs> so it's hard to really tell what he emphasized. Um, but there's one way I like to summarize the entire first lesson, and so I always ask in week two. If somebody can summarize for me what the most important thought is in the first lesson. I didn't realize it was still live. So I always ask uh, if somebody can summarize what the the most important part of the first lesson was. And so I'm going to give you guys the opportunity. What what stood out to you about uh, about last week's lesson? Anybody? Is there any brave? Any brave souls? Creation, yeah. So God, God makes it clear that He is real, that there is a God because of of creation. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that that's a primary. Emphasis in that first lesson that this is why we have a foundations class is because it's important for people, especially those that are, are just getting saved, to to build a foundation of truth about God's word, about what we believe as Christians, and build and and then for the rest of your Christian life you build upon that foundation. Miss, I was eating uh, dinner at uh, Raising Cane's last night and Miss Mel was there, and she's been a Christian for many many years, and so she said she's going to come back to the foundations class. She's been through it probably two or three times. And I kind of made the statement. I said, isn't that what the Christian life is like? You just go over stuff over and over again. There's nothing new that we're, that we're going to, uh, to, to get truth from. It's God's word. And so there's nothing. No one's coming up with new scripture. So we just, that, that's the Christian life. You're constantly taking the truth of God's word into your mind, penetrates your heart, and impacts the way you live life. And so that's the process. But, but at the beginning of our Christian life, it's important um, for us to build a, f- a foundation. And then l- later on in life, sometimes you forget, <laughs> you forget the truths that, that maybe you learned when you were younger, and it's good to reinforce those things. So that, that was definitely one of the primary um, pushes of the first lesson. But one of the ones that I emphasize quite a bit is the idea of having a biblical worldview. I'm not sure if, if Pastor Freddie had focused on that, but that's kind of the, the primary focus is that, is that as Christians, we see the world completely different than non-Christians, completely different. They, they don't see it through the lens of God's word. They see it through the lens of many different types of things. They can see it through the lens of their own individual life their own desires and dreams. They can see it through the lens of, of, their, of their lust, their sin, 
um, many different ways that the world, that, 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 that those are not saved, see the world and, and, and answer the question, what is life all about? But as Christians, our worldview is a biblical worldview. Everything that we think about what life is all about is filtered through God's Word. The way we view marriage, it's completely changed because of what God's Word says about, about who created marriage. God did. What are the roles in marriage? And we see it laid out clearly in Scripture. Our worldview about work is completely different. You know that God, God's the one who gives us strength and life to be able to even work. And He gives us a, a vision and a calling for our future. And so we don't view work as just this mundane thing that I have to do just to earn a living. Now, in some of our depressed days, maybe we feel that way. But whenever we see life through that biblical worldview, we, we recognize that even the job that we don't like very much, it's, it's something that God has called us to. It's some, something God has called us to, and so God has gifted us and called us. And so we see our world completely different. And so I like to emphasize in the first lesson that having a, having a God-centered worldview is only the first step. That if you, as a, if somebody as a non-believer comes to the revelation through creation, they recognize through, through, through the complexities of creation, that, man, this just couldn't have happened by chance. The fact that creation is so detailed, I, I've been laughing with my wife. Um, I kind of have this phrase now, for those, for those of you who don't know, she's, she's pregnant. I'm going to let the church know this morning. But um, we found out a week before we adopted Reagan, a week before we adopted Reagan, that she was pregnant. <laughs> and so she has not been pregnant for almost a decade uh, my youngest daughter is nine. She's about to be ten. So it's been a while. And so I've been telling her, I said, you know, she's been sick. And I said, sweetheart, that's what happens when you're growing a human. <laughs> I said, you are growing a human right now. And I just, well, every time I think about that, I'm like, there's a human growing on the inside of my wife in there somewhere. And it's just so amazing. It's just a beautiful, amazing picture that God is real. The fact that, that, that a life is, is sustained inside of a mother's womb and lives in fluid, survives in fluid, develops lungs while they're in there, and then when they get out of the womb, if you put them back in fluid, they're going to die. You know, it's just an amazing picture. Just, you see the complexities of life. And so if somebody recognizes that and has a general revelation that there is a God, that's not enough. You have to have this, a special revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the central point of lesson two. And that's kind of why, why, why I, I wrote it like this, that we start with a general view that there is a God, that we have to have this God-centered worldview. But then if we, don't, if we don't see that Jesus is God, the Son of God, and that He died on the cross for our sins, and that He rose on the third day, and He provided salvation for us, then, then if you don't get that point, then your view of there being a God is only the first step, and it's incomplete. And so, lesson two is on the doctrine of, just, of justification. And in the beginning of the lesson, I have the phrase there, the doctrine of justification is, is one of the primary foundations of the Christian life. I, this morning when I was looking over it, I thought about saying it's the primary doctrine of the, of the Christian faith. And and I would say that that would be the case, but the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
I would say, is the primary doctrine of the Christian faith, our belief that Jesus rose from the dead. Had he not risen from the dead, we wouldn't be here worshiping right now because it would just be like any other religion that's out there. But because Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, then he validated his claims of being the Son of God. But second to, second to the, res- the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the doctrine of justification. And what justification seeks to answer, the question that the doctrine of justification seeks to answer is, how can a man be right with God? That's, that's the heart of justification. How can somebody who is sinful before a holy God, how can we be justified? And that term justified is a legal term. It's, it's, it's like, let's say, I get charged with, with a crime, which I got charged with a crime a couple of months back, speeding. And if, I, I think I even used the example of a message that I preached. I was going 46 and a 35 unknowingly. It was, it was not a willful crime. I, I was just driving, felt like I wasn't speeding, and all of a sudden lights get turned on. I look down, oh, my goodness, I didn't even realize. And so they pulled me over, and I was charged with a crime. And so when I stood in front of the clerk of court at, at city court, she asked me, how did I plead? And I pled guilty. I signed my name under the guilty. And so I was guilty as charged. Well, how can somebody like me, guilty as charged, stand justified? Well, somebody had to pay my debt. Now, I paid my debt. <laughs> I paid the 93-something dollars for that debt. But the, but, but, but the picture of Christianity is that somebody else paid my debt. And so if, if my grandfather would have paid my debt or, or somebody else would have paid that debt for me, then I could have said that that person brought justification to me. They, they, they cleared me of those charges. And so that's the heart of justification. It's that, it's that, it's that legal declaration that you are right before a holy God, that nobody can come back behind that and say that you're guilty. Once you're justified, once the judge says that you are innocent, nobody can come back and charge you and, and, and charge you again. I mean, even in, even in our legal system, right? If you get charged with a crime and the jury finds you not guilty, you can never be retried for that crime. Never. Right. Double jeopardy. So... Once you stand righteous before God, you have acknowledged Him as your Lord and Savior, you are justified before Him. Now, justification, how we are made right with God, was very important to the Christian faith. And I, I, I kind of have there, it's a little history lesson in the, in the church about why, how, we get, how we got to where we are as Protestants. You know, we are Protestants. We're not Catholics. We're, we're Protestants. So we view justification differently. And there, there was a fight in the early church uh, in, in the 1500s, well, long before that, that it was building up, but at its peak in the early to mid-1500s is whenever there was a split in the Catholic church and the Protestant church was birthed. And it centered around the doctrine of justification. There was a man named Martin Luther, and it's in your notes here, there's a man named Martin Luther, and there was many others like him. He was kind of the primary voice, but many others like that that were, were Catholics, that were a part of the church, and part of the Catholic church. And um, uh, Martin Luther was a, a, a German monk, 
And so he was a very fastidious monk. He, he, he lived by the letter of the law. He constantly prayed prayers of forgiveness because he, he, he lived with a guilty conscience. He had no view that he could stand justified before God and have a, a, a clear conscience. And so he just began to evaluate God's Word and what God's Word says about justification and, and some scripture that, that we're going to look over. And so, uh, but there were other issues that had developed within the Catholic Church. And you, you, you see there the institution of the papacy, the Pope as the head of the church. That was one big issue there. Who is the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. We are the church. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. He is the head of the church. There is no man. Ben Bufkin is not the head of the church. Pastor Renee is not the head of the church. Whenever I become senior pastor next year, I am not going to be the head of Living Word Church. I am just Ben Bufkin. People asked me after the announcement uh, in June about the transition what they should call me now. And I said, well, on my birth certificate, it says Benjamin Michael Bufkin. So you can call me that. <laughs> just call me Ben. No one's the head of the church. This is not my church. This isn't any pastor that pastors the church. It is not their church. It is God's church and Jesus is the head of that church. So that was clearly a fallacy that had, that had been birthed there. There was a, there was a strong view that, that, that was built up then, and even, even till today it continues, that the average Christian cannot understand the Bible. You have to have a priest to interpret the Bible and explain it to you. You can't go on your own and read the Bible and, and understand it. And, and we know that that's not true. I'm not the only one who has. I, I don't have a, um, I don't have a, uh, what's the word? Some of my mind goes blank there. I don't have a monopoly on, uh, on reading and understanding Scripture. Everyone can. Everyone can. That, and that, and that, isn't that great? That means that if I get up in a little while and preach the message that I'm going to preach, and you're reading it, and something just doesn't jive with what I'm saying... You, you don't. You don't have to. You don't have to take that. You, you can actually come and talk to me after service. I had somebody do that a couple of weeks ago. God bless him. It, it was good, and I was able to explain. I, I didn't explain myself very well, and so I explained myself better, and we came to an agreement. But that, that's that's normal, and that's that's because you have been given a responsibility to understand God's word, to read it, to know it, and to understand it. Another issue that had risen up in the church, and this was one that was really uh, a sensitive part to Martin Luther. It was the selling of indulgences. And so, and this is connected with purgatory. That was another belief that in our, in our, in our scripture, in the, in the New Testament scripture, we don't find anywhere in scripture that talks about some type of middle ground for those who die. And that's the idea of purgatory, that people can die, and if they were not good, Enough, they will go to some type of middle ground and they will suffer for a little while before they go to heaven. And but then the idea of the selling of indulgences was this is back in the 13, 14, 1500s was that if you had a loved one that was in that had died was assumed to be in purgatory, that you could pay money. The, the, the Catholic Church was raising money to build a, a new church in uh, St. Saint, Saint Peter's Church, and so. They said, if you will give money towards this building fund, then we will write you a certificate of early release for your loved ones. And it was called a selling of indulgences. 
And so can you imagine if we did that today at Living Word? You remember back in the day where we, we were raising money to build this building? It took about eight years. Can you imagine? Y'all would have ran Pastor Renee off if you would have came up on a Sunday and said, Hey, we're trying to raise money, and i got a special deal for you. If you will give money and donate money, an extra amount of money, I will give you a certificate of early release from any one of your loved ones that has died. They will get to go to heaven. Don't pass go. Don't collect two hundred dollars. Go go straight into heaven. You guys would have ran them off because it's ridiculous. It's not biblical, and so that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Martin Luther. He said, "This is not right. The church has gotten off the rails here. How are we justified? How because how does somebody get to heaven? Can't be because somebody gives money and 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 gets a certificate of early release from purgatory. That can't be right." And one of the scriptures that he went to as he was reading in the book of Romans that was like a light bulb moment for him. You see it here at the bottom, towards the bottom of your first page, is Romans 1, 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, for in what? For in the gospel of Christ The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the foundation of our righteousness starts with the gospel and it's revealed through faith. Through faith. Not through works. Not through indulgences. Not through penance. Not through sacraments. It's revealed through faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in what Jesus Christ did. As it is written, the just, the justified, the just shall live by faith. And that's the crux of Christianity, that those that are just, those that are right with God, the foundation of their life is built upon faith in Jesus Christ, not upon any other foundation. Any other foundation. I used to work years ago for a security company called Safeguard. And... uh, it's no longer called that now, but I was there for about eight, eight or nine years. And um, this is before I came to work here at Living Word. And one of my former bosses, he, I, um, I don't know, about two or three months ago, I, I asked him to come over to my house to give me to bid an alarm system for my house. And so he comes in there and he's bidding the system. And he begins to talk to me about um, his times of confession. Now, he's a Catholic. And so he is known for going to Mass three times a day. And he, it's because he's a lot like Martin Luther. He lives with a guilty conscience. And he said this phrase. He talked about how he said, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I say my prayers and I say my rosary and I go to Mass, he said, from the time I, I've confessed, and he goes to confession, from the time I confess until my next confession, he said, I am in a state of grace. And the idea is, is that from the point of his confession, he's justified before God and right before God until he gets to his next confession and rosary and prayer and penance and sacrament. And so in the in-between time, if he happens to sin, if he looks upon a woman to lust, if he's mean to his wife, if he, if he has thoughts he shouldn't have, if he gets angry and, he, and if he sins, he lives with the sense that he is out from under the state of grace. And so there's this constant sense of having to maintain his justification. And so that view of justification is anti-biblical. 
Because those that are justified are not justified because they maintain a position of justification. Because if that's the case, then justification would be by works and not by faith and not by grace. Justification being right, the just shall live by faith. Their life of justification is on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you might ask the question, well, what about sin? Or what about the issue of sin? What about when a, when a, when a Christian sins? Well, next week, if you come next week, we'll talk about that. That's, that's, that's the doctrine of sanctification, about how a Christian who is justified, forgiven of all of their sins, begins this lifelong process of becoming like Christ and the peaks and valleys of that process. And, and, and those times when you're on the mountaintop and then those times where you fail, God is with you and He sustains you and He helps you to grow in maturity and holiness. That's called sanctification. But nowhere in the middle of that process of sanctification, when we sin, do we all of a sudden lose our justification and Jesus has to go back on the cross and die again so we can be justified. That's not Christianity. Christianity is founded upon the reality that when you make a, a, a choice to believe the claims of the gospel and you surrender to God's call through the Holy Spirit, you surrender to Christ, you become justified. Justified before a holy God. How amazing is that? I want to illustrate this picture of what justification looks like. And you, you may have seen me do this, but I need two volunteers. I'll get Mr. Timmy and... Um, and I'll get, uh, is it Jeremy? i get Jeremy to help me out. So, Jeremy, would you mind being Hitler for me this morning? So, so, so Hitler, so you can be Jesus, Timmy. So, so, so Timmy, you go stand way, way over there, right by that table. And Hitler, you come stand by that garbage can. <laughs> so, here's a picture of justification. So, I am... Just an average Christian. Uh, well, let's, let's put it like this. No, let's start this over. I am not a Christian. I am Ben Bufkin. I don't know Jesus. And somebody comes and preaches the gospel to me and tells me that I have to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. But I'm having a hard time with this idea of repentance. What do you mean repent? But what am I guilty of? What, what is sin? And so if somebody starts to describe to me what the gospel is, and they may try to say, well, you know, God is holy. And there's this huge chasm between you and the worst evil person that's ever lived, Hitler. And there's no way to bridge that chasm. And I start thinking, wait a minute, Hitler, where, where would I position myself in this chasm between Hitler and Jesus? I'd put myself somewhere in the middle, right? Isn't that what we're all people do? We don't think we're as bad as Hitler. I'm, I mean, I'm not as bad as Hitler. He was one of the most terrible human beings that ever lived, murdered millions of people oversaw the murder of millions of people. But I know I'm not as holy as Jesus, so I would never cross that center line to get on that side. But I'm somewhere in the middle. So what happens is, is that all people judge themselves by the wrong standard. They judge themselves by their next door neighbor who cheated on his wife and is going through a, a, going through a divorce. And they say, well, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I haven't cheated on my wife or... They judge themselves by their, their, their nasty coworker who has a filthy, has filthy language and is always cursing. Well, I don't really curse. I'm not that bad. So I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm kind of just in the middle. But the reality of the gospel is that all of us, all of us are over here. 
Nobody is anywhere closer to Jesus ever. We're all on this on equal playing fields. So if somebody, if if I was to ever tell somebody that him, them and Hitler were buddies and would have hung out together, they'd have said you're crazy. But spiritually speaking, it's the case that just as guilty as Hitler is and was before God, if he wasn't a Christian. I'm just the same way if I'm not a Christian. There has to be, and and because of that, there has to be a way to bridge that gap. And the only way that that gap is bridged, just go over this way so the mic doesn't keep messing up. The only way to bridge that gap is that God comes after us. You can stay right there just for a second. So, justification is that God pursues us. Now, the opposite of justification, salvation by works, is that I kind of claw my way I work my way. All right, Hitler, come on. We're working our way. We're doing good deeds. We're going to church. We're trying to do our best. And it's like this big uphill climb. We're trying to, trying to close this, this gap. That would be salvation by works, by penance, by, by sacraments, by church attendance, by giving. That's not salvation. That's not how we're justified. So Jesus comes and he pursued us by dying on the cross. And here's what happens in justification. This is the most beautiful picture that you can ever see. So, if I could take Jesus and Hitler, just say Hitler did get saved, um, what it means to be justified is that God imputes, that word impute is, is, is a term meaning that, that God gives the righteousness of His Son, perfectly righteous Son, to the believer and it becomes the believer's righteousness. So the picture is, if I could be, if it, this could be like Star Trek, you know how they beam people up and their bodies crystallize. If I could do that, and I could superimpose Timmy and Jeremy here. They would come together and become one. That's what it means to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thank y'all. And so that's that's the picture of justification. That when you, not because of your good works, not because of anything that you could do to earn it, because of faith, the just live by faith, because of faith alone in Jesus Christ, then Jesus' righteousness becomes your own and you become one in Christ. You are in Him and He is in you. And when, 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 the, when, a, holy, when a holy God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see your own self-effort to get to Him. He sees the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so whenever you stand before the court of heaven, you, you are judged as righteous, justified, holy, blameless, spotless, forgiven. Amen? Isn't that powerful? That, that is the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means to be justified. So if any of you here this morning, if you have ever felt... Like, well, I just don't know if I'm justified. I don't know if I'm right before God. I just have one simple question for you. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you looked and heard the gospel message? And have you surrendered by faith to Jesus Christ? And if your answer to that is yes, then you are everything that I just said. You are righteous. You are holy. You are blameless. You are justified. And you can stand before a holy God cleansed. That's the gospel message. And again, question always comes up, what about sin? We're going to deal with that this next week. Sin, sin, as a Christian, sin, sin is unavoidable. 
Anyone who ever believes that Christians don't sin, they're living in deception. You know, there's actually people out there who believe that, that we should end up being perfect this side of heaven. That that's what we try to strive for. We try to be perfect. And there is no one perfect. No one righteous like Christ. Nobody. Only Christ alone. And so, sin, the fact that we struggle with sin, struggle with sin, is a reality that we are a believer. If you're not a believer, you don't struggle with sin. You just live in sin. It's not a struggle. You don't even, what is sin? But the fact there is a conscience in your heart that convicts you, the Holy Spirit convicts you whenever you disobey God's word and you you walk against the commands of Scripture. The fact that your heart is pierced is is a proof that you belong to Him. That means the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you. He's convicting you of those areas of sin. And so... This is what justification is. Let's read Romans 4. It's on the the back page here. Right before that, it says, Justification is more than simple pardon. Pardon alone would still leave the sinner without merit before God. So when God justifies, He imputes divine righteousness to the sinner. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans 4 says this, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strengthened in faith is the speaking of Abraham, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. This is this is what 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 we do as Christians. This is speaking of Abraham in the Old Testament. God, God had made him a promise. And so Abraham, he was fully convinced. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're fully convinced of who God is and who His Son is and the means of salvation. You're fully convinced that God is able to do what He has promised. And therefore, because you're fully convinced by faith, it was accounted to to Him. It was accounted to you for righteousness. Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us, this righteousness, who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses. He went to the cross because of our sin and was raised so that we could be justified before our justification, because of our justification. Christ's own infinite merit becomes the ground on which the believer stands before God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ became for us righteousness. And we are found in Him. This is Philippians 3.9. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. So we can have a righteousness on our own, but it's by the law. It's trying to live by the law. And we can, so we can have that own righteousness, but that righteousness doesn't last very long. And be found in not having our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So justification elevates the believer to a realm of full acceptance and divine privilege in Jesus Christ. Therefore, Because of justification, believers are perfectly free of any charge of guilt. Romans 8.33 says this, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? If you're a Christian, you are God's elect. You are God's chosen ones. 
It is God who justifies. So when the accuser of the brethren, Satan, comes to you and tries to tell you, wait a minute, I I know what you did and I saw what you used to be like. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can say, no, Satan. Romans 8.33 says, "Who, who can bring a charge against God's chosen one? I belong to Christ. It is Christ who justifies me. It is God who justifies. So here are the truths that flow out of justification. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And that's so beautiful. Having adopted Reagan now, I, I just, I don't know. It's hard, to, it's, hard, it's hard to explain just this whole process of adoption. We, we had her for almost three years. She's going to be three in um, five days. And so we didn't adopt her until last month. So it was nearly, it was nearly um, three years before she was ours, before we adopted her as our own. So this whole process of over two years of her not being ours, but her being ours in our heart and would have felt like dying had they ripped her from us, which they, they tried to when she was about nine, nine or ten months old. and Because uh, we had her since birth. They brought her to her house at three, three days old. So just it's a whole process of going through this adoption thing. It's just been it's just a, a beautiful picture for, for me to recognize what salvation really is. Because she, she, she has had, she, she came from a terrible situation. I mean terrible. She doesn't know who her, who her biological dad is and never will. Um, they don't know. that They never found out. And just her situation, you know, being, being in the courts in the early stages of this process, the adoption process, when the, the biological mom was trying to fight for her. Um, just seeing her, seeing her extended family and just the, the effects of sin on their life and how heartbreaking that was to watch. To realize that this is where Reagan came from. This is what she would have grown up in. But she was adopted. She was adopted. And that is salvation. We, 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 we are messed up in sin. We have terrible parents. Our father, Adam, passed down to us a sinful nature. And we are born in sin with sinful natures. We cannot, we cannot, and I looked at that family, it's like they cannot help but breed drama in their life. It's like it comes naturally. They wake up in the morning and there was drama. It's natural, and that's how it is for us as sinners. We're naturally filled with drama and sin. But God, through Jesus Christ, adopts us. And now we look at Reagan, and we tell her, her we tell her her story. She's going to know it all of her life. We tell her, Reagan, God brought you to us. God brought you to us. We we adopted you, Reagan. You are ours. We chose you. God chose you in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the world. God chose you. He says, I want you. I pick you. I want to adopt you. And that's what that's what adoption is. Such a beautiful picture. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We become fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. We are united with Christ so that we become one with Him. He is in us and we are in Him. And we are now in Christ and He is in us. Amen? Justification is not a process of becoming righteous. It is a moment in time because of your faith God declared you fully righteous, not guilty. Innocent, not guilty. Justification should never be confused with the sanctification process, and we will cover that this, this, this next week. Amen? So that is the doctrine of justification. Any thoughts, questions? Sure.
Tell me your name. Casey. Yes, that's a great question. Can you lose your salvation? That's been a question that's been asked for centuries. Can you, you lose your salvation? A simple answer to, to that question would be no. Because um, it's very confusing. I, I don't think there's anybody in this room or anybody throughout history who can tell anyone where the line is that you cross where you would lose your salvation. Commit that sin and your salvation's over. You don't know it, and nobody else would know it. So if Casey would commit a sin and commit a series of sins, because some people would say, well, if you start living a lifestyle of sin, then you've lost your salvation. Well, if sin is the criteria of losing your salvation, wouldn't you lose it with one sin against the holy God? What changes when it becomes a, a, a multitude of sins? So a simple answer is no. I, I, it's hard for me to look at somebody who says they believe in Jesus Christ and tell them, well, if you commit X amount of sins, well, good luck to you. You need to get saved again. God, they become a prodigal child. You know, I, I think we can... Look, I remember in Bible college, of course, this is, again, this is centuries people have been arguing this point. And I remember in Bible college at 18, 19, one of our professors would, would uh, pit that against both sides of the room and say, all of you are arguing for the fact of the security of the, of the believer and that you can't lose your salvation. In this side of the room, you have to argue whether you agree or not that you can. And so we just, we'd, we'd study it and we'd come back and forth and we'd go back and forth and it is an endless argument that goes round and round and round. Where I like to land is on the security of the believer. Because the truth is, is that if you lose your salvation when you sin, all of you tomorrow might need to get saved again and have to come back down the altar on Sunday morning and get saved again. I'm not saying you're going to sin, sin tomorrow, but you're capable of it because your justified nature, your fully righteous, that fully righteous nature that you have, that new nature in Christ Jesus that you have, dwells in an unredeemed flesh. And that unredeemed flesh that's not redeemed with the heavenly body yet is, has been trained, was trained by your old nature to live in sin. So this process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is the process of training that old flesh to now obey your new nature. You guys follow me? So God doesn't give up on us when we sin. God doesn't say, okay, well, now you, you sin, you sin again, you sin again, you mess up. Well, now you got to get saved again. So that's my answer. I, can somebody get to the point where they need to come back to God? Yes. There's times where we come back to God. But I, God's, God's the judge. God's the one who sees where everyone is. And so I, I, I never want to land in a place where I look at somebody and, and say, you're not saved because you did this, this, and this. Because God's forgiveness and his justification is stronger than, than any sin. When you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are justified. And if we really believe in justification... And we don't believe that through penance and sacraments that we maintain it. If we really don't believe that, then we don't believe that sin can separate you from God as a believer. Because if we believe that, then that means that you're going to be separated next week and the week after that. You guys follow me? Yeah? Sure. 
Sure. Well, that that's complicated. You know, there's. T- right. Correct. Yeah. No. So that that that's a great question there too. So can somebody just believe in God? Uh, they say I believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in His testimony that He's given to us in Scripture. Right. 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 So, no, and that's excellent. We would not know, as Christians, with the Bible, we wouldn't know who Jesus was had we not had Scripture. So, I don't personally believe that somebody can be a Christian without having heard the gospel message and believed it. And so, where do we get the gospel message? Through Scripture. It's through the Bible. The Bible gives us the gospel message. And so, somebody who says they're a Christian, but they don't believe in the Bible, they don't believe it's God's Word, they don't don't believe it's divinely inspired, they don't believe it's message... I think it's impossible for them to be a Christian if they don't believe what God's Word says. Because God's Word, the, 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 God, the Bible says in 2 Timothy that the Word of God is breathed, is the very breathed out words of God. That the Bible is the very breathed out words of God. So the Bible comes from God. It is His very words. So to deny Scripture is to deny that God has spoken and to, and to deny that truth. So... Does that clarify some things for you? Okay. But people always do that. They just want to believe in a God of their own creation. Well, I kind of like this gumbo mix of stuff. You know why? Jesus is pretty cool. I like to, I want to, and when people say they want to live like Jesus, they basically just mean that they want to kind of do some good deeds. They want to be good to the poor, and they want to be like the good Samaritan, and they want to live according to his teachings. But they don't, they don't want to believe that he's the son of God, that he rose from the dead, as scripture tells us. They don't want to believe that they stand accountable before him. So they'll believe a little bit of Jesus. They'll believe a little bit of Hinduism or Islam or whatever they want to believe in. They'll believe what Oprah says and just kind of get a gumbo mix of something that kind of appeases their conscience and makes them sleep good at night. But the question is not all of that. The question centers on how can a man be right before God? The only way that that is answered is through Jesus Christ. Any other? Yes. I'm just saying, like, I'm pretty sure it's a spirit because I hear it from a lot of different guys who say all things same thing, and they believe it is Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, there's many different forms of that. It's it's a denying of what's the the revelation of Scripture, what God has has showed us. If that that's always interesting to me, even Christians. Even Christians, those who, have called, who, who, who are Christians, they have a hard time believing that, that the devil is real or that demons are real. And Scripture gives us a clear picture that Satan is real, that hell is real. You know, there was a controversy a couple of years back. Some famous pastor went out there and started, he wrote a book that hell is not real and that people die, that, they, that basically everyone ends up in heaven. He proved himself to be a false teacher because Jesus talked more about hell and judgment than he did about anything else. That and money. Talked about hell and money more than any other subject. And, um, and so there's lots of people that try to justify and change and twist the clear teaching of Scripture. And so I believe, yeah, I think that is, it is a spirit. It's a spirit of Antichrist. It's a spirit of, of this age, of, of this world. I'm going to be talking about that in the, in the uh, message, that we live in a crazy world. Lots of unbelief and deception. And so... I'm not going to give you all my message, but um, I'm, I'm excited about preaching it. Anybody else?
You good? <laughs> it's a message on prayer. We talk about prayer this morning. We give the parable of the persistent widow, and from Luke Luke eighteen. Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the truth of your word that tells us that we, through faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 1, 16 and 17, that we are justified by faith. The just shall live by faith. And we thank you for that, that revelation, God, that our salvation is not dependent upon our good works. Our salvation, the foundation of it, Rest upon your righteousness. Rest upon what you've done on our behalf. And simply by our faith, we lay hold of that. And we make it our own because of what you've done for us. And I thank you that we stand justified before a holy God. We're forgiven. We are righteous. And Lord, may we live to tell that, that testimony. May we share the gospel with those that don't know you. Those that are lost in their sin and in their lifestyles of rebellion against you, God. May we be instruments of your mercy and your grace. God, I just thank you for this, this group of people here this morning. I thank you that for their heart of hunger. pray that you bless them, strength, strengthen them. Lord, bless the service, God, the time of worship and the, and the message. Lord, this is all for you and all for your glory and all for your name. In Jesus', we, in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, see you next week.